Welcome to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, where we examine the latest digital strategies, tactics, case studies, and technologies to help you drive your brand and your career to new heights. You'll hear from a range of marketers and industry experts to help you, the corporate marketer, to take advantage of your many digital opportunities. Here's your host, digital marketing expert, published author, and regular media presenter, Peter Applebaum. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. Very excited to welcome a new guest, as I always am, because we're always getting some fantastic people on this podcast. His name is Mandeep Grover, who's the General Manager of Refractive Surgery for Asia Pacific and Japan with Abbott Vision. And I have known Mandeep for some years. I met him when he was working for Johnson & Johnson, who incidentally have just bought Abbott Vision worldwide. So it's almost like Back to the Future for Mandeep, going back to Johnson & Johnson, where he spent many years. He's actually also been in Singapore for the last six or seven years. So one of the many insights that he's going to give us in the chat that uh, you're about to hear is how Australia and the Asia-Pacific region, the differences and what the opportunities are for marketers just like you. As you can tell from the title, Mandeep is a senior person in his organization and he still is very passionate about digital and as he said, he's even getting more passionate. So it's very interesting for people at all uh, stages of their career to hear why someone so senior is so passionate where he sees you can go in what you do with your various programs and servicing your brands. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Mandeep Grover. I'd like to welcome Mandeep Grover to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, and I'm very excited to have Mandeep because he has excellent experience, which I covered a little bit in the introduction, but I just wanted, uh, Mandeep, if you could give us an overview of your stellar career in the healthcare space and uh, tell us where you are today. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I must say you are uh, very kind to actually invite me to the show. And uh, so I essentially started off my career close to about 20 years ago. It just seems like a long time. And, it was uh, only yesterday, had, Mandeep. Well, if you look at the, the number of, of white hair that I have now, <laughs> it, it reminds me every day that I look in the mirror. Um, you and me both, Mandeep. So essentially, I, I started off in the healthcare industry, um, basically started to do a lot of ethical B2B marketing with uh, a company called uh, Pfizer. Yes. And uh, I Sorry, could I, could uh, I interrupt you there? Mandeep, because there's some sure. people who are not in the in the pharmaceutical industry who don't quite know what ethical means. That's prescription only. That is prescription only. Yeah. And uh, essentially, I was uh, uh, working on different brands that are sold mainly through uh, different pharmacies in different parts of the world. And they are uh, sold uh, by a prescription, which is given by a healthcare professional, either a GP or a specialist. So I basically started with them almost 20 years ago, uh, and uh, my initial grounding was in the principles of understanding what the the key behavioral uh, patterns were for the physicians and how they looked at different brands that were available in the market. And uh, the initial start of my career was in India, and India, as we may know is a very um, uh, diversified market in terms of having a lot of generic options uh, for uh, the different types of of medications that are available, which is a trend which is also getting more and more uh, popular in markets like Australia and New Zealand in our our part of the world. 
So after spending a few years with the with the with Pfizer, I basically decided to take a break to pursue a full-time MBA in Europe because I wanted to get uh, um, you know a toolkit of uh, of understanding how I could uh, gain a much bigger uh, view of the entire corporation and also get uh, an understanding of building a network which would uh, help me to support my aspirations. So after my MBA, I was uh, hired through my campus recruitment from J&J, and I started my, my uh, first role with them in, in, in J&J Vision Care, which was based in uh, Singapore. And uh, that role essentially entailed uh, establishing the whole uh, physician, the, the, the physician communication or the B2B uh, marketing functions for Asia Pacific using the principles that I had learned in my years in, in Pfizer. So it was an interesting couple of years and uh, I was able to uh, get a few of the key processes established in uh, a business uh, which mainly dealt with contact lenses or AccuView. From there, I was uh, sent to head up uh, uh, marketing in Australia and, and New Zealand. That's when I was based in Sydney and that's where we, we, we first met. That's right. Um, so for uh, for a brand like AccuView that is dispensed mainly by an optometrist using a prescription, that's how the whole landscape works in Australia. Um, we had uh, essentially we could look at uh, people who were wearing glasses or even contact lenses from other brands who would be our core target audience, but at the same time we had a major gatekeeper who was the optometrist who would essentially be prescribing or dispensing those lenses. Uh, once um, a prospective patient walked in. So it was in those early days when I spent a lot of time uh, on a brand which had a lot of consumer appeal. But um, because of the fact that we were working in a market that was primarily regulated, we had to uh, take care of the optometrist as well as look at uh, you know, finding cost-effective ways of essentially increasing our demand for contact lenses. And I still remember it was the year 2007, we were being challenged by our competitor in terms of share. And uh, it was the fourth quarter and we had to do something quite drastic to basically get our sales back on track. And that was my first ex experience of really working with an agency to understand the overall landscape for digital in Australia. And uh, it was that time when we launched our first campaign on, on Facebook as, as far back as uh, 2007. And, Facebook was just in its initial phase of growth. And that campaign, which was called the AccuView Wink, was quite successful. It, it was uh, you know, recognized within Australia and also within the entire Johnson & Johnson community as a best practice of using social media to basically uh, uh, get more people interested in contact lenses, get more people to try contact lenses, and show tangible increase in sales as a result of using digital media uh, to basically get more patients on the brand. So that was 10 years ago, and you you actually achieved via Facebook. That was the only social channel that you had, quite frankly, that pr probably, apart from MySpace, there probably weren't too many other social channels around at that time. But you actually achieved those tangible commercial outcomes purely as a result of the Facebook campaign? So um, I would say that uh, our campaign was... Uh, actually quite unique because it was a hundred percent digital campaign so we use uh, uh i would say most of our media spend went to facebook but we also had uh, contextual ads um 
as well as we used a very cost-effective way of reaching out people who wore glasses, which was, uh, you know, using third-party databases to send out electronic direct mail to people who would be who would who were wearing glasses and who could be interested in, in wearing contact lenses. So I, I would say about 50% of the spend went on on Facebook, and the rest was on different digital media channels, including online banners, SEM, uh, as well as uh, doing a lot of electronic direct mail. So that was quite an innovative campaign at the time, and obviously that was recognized internally and externally. I mean, that was only three years after Facebook was really established, which is amazing. Well, it's it's actually surprising when you work for a brand and you have a declining sales and a lot of constraints on how much money you can spend. I think that really pushes people to come up with ideas that are out of the box and, and can, can really get the overall uh, brand to get back on track. It's actually interesting you say that because... My contention is that the best and most innovative thinking from a digital point of view is coming from the challenger brands, the brands that are not the Cokes and the and the McDonald's and the those that are the, the market leaders with the mammoth marketing budgets. They're the ones that have to box smarter, if you will, to, to come up with new ways of doing things to to really stand out and get, grab their share of the of their market's attention. Well, in our case, um, I, I have seen this specific trend in um, – number of different segments so i mean we we, we talk about healthcare. Um, uh, one example which actually comes to mind is j and j in the us has a brand called tylenol which is probably sold in australia under a different name um, so that that brand has uh, a certain variant that is used for people who have insomnia right so um a brand like Tylenol, which is considered to be a painkiller, which has got low engagement versus uh, the other brands that we see in the FMCG segment, they they came up with an app which helped you to track your your, your sleep patterns. And it was a very simple app that uh, people could use to track the impact on sleep on their overall mood the next day. So uh, I have seen examples where, uh, you know, brands which have, which, which are constrained and, and which have, you know, people who are entrepreneurial are the ones who are able to basically leverage the, the limited resources which they have. Because in effect, if you look at the classic definition of strategy, it's, it's all about allocating limited resources to get maximum outcomes. Right, right, I see. And let me ask you, uh, as you mentioned, you are in a restricted and regulated industry. What do you see are the main and I know this is quite a broad question, but what do you see are the main opportunities for regulated markets and marketers who are trying to create outcomes for their brands given such restrictions? So if you look at healthcare, uh, and if I look at mainly, let's say, medical devices and pharmaceuticals, the industries which probably are always very heavily regulated and their products are, are, are prescription only, uh, the the uh, classic business model in which information is disseminated hasn't changed a lot in the last 50 years. You know, you still have to have sales reps that basically go in, they have their discussion with the physician for a very short amount of time that is available to them, and they try to influence behavior using a, a business model, which in my opinion is quite outdated. I think the, 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 the real opportunities for these markets are how, how can marketers really spend time with physicians to understand the changing ways in which information is being uh, consumed. So uh, if, if, we, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the physicians, who are the ones that are uh, the, the primary uh, targets in these uh, markets, we really have to understand for these uh, 
time-constrained physicians are spending so much time in their surgeries or seeing seeing patients. What is the best way for us as marketers to serve them information on demand and at the same time help them in terms of uh, achieving their continuing education requirements or even helping them to be better at, at serving patients? So instead of this being a, a one-way communication where we go and see a physician and tell them how good our medical device or our drug is, can we turn the actual funnel upside down and ask the physician how they would like to be served information so that we can bring tools to them that would help them at their own time get that same information and, and basically absorb it better and even help them in terms of getting their continuing education. Is that a revolutionary approach in your, in your organization and in your industry? Uh, I have seen pieces of that being implemented in my company as well as my industry. Like, for example, there, there is a, a, lot, a lot of movement for, pe- for people going away from, uh, let's say, the conventional paper-based messaging or the paper-based detail aids, which have been around for a long time. So we've, we've been able to slowly get examples of where our, our reps are, all have iPads and we've We've, we've started to put messages on the iPads that are that can be customized to the physicians that they are seeing. So there have been examples, but I think that the, the overall understanding or the overall um, ecosystem that these industries operate in still has a lot of people who are quite risk averse because of the nature of the industry. So I have seen examples of people trying to do different things, but I, I think there is a long way to go um, as compared to what we see in the other industries that are probably not as regulated. And you've spent uh, the last six or seven years in Singapore, is that correct? Yes. Right, okay. And having spent quite a bit of time in Australia as well, what do you see the differences in those two countries, Singapore, or in Asia broadly and in Australia specifically? Well, I think in, in Australia, the because the overall market, the healthcare landscape is quite well developed, the, the overall processes that are in place for the way communication is being done either at an offline or an online uh, basis is quite well defined. Asia, if you look at like in when, when you look at different countries in Asia, like let's say from Southeast Asia to countries like Japan to countries like China and India, there are a lot of different key drivers and barriers which you see in every country. Like if you take, for example, in, in China, so any, any communication, if, if you decide to develop a, a website which has medical information, that would be given to to prospective patients, that needs to get the China government's approval. Uh, so, if I, if I compare that with with Australia, the only place where, or you know, the only place where I had to get approval uh, in the AMZ uh, space was if I had to get an out that was go, uh, basically uh, sending out to consumers, I had to get the approval from uh, a regulatory authority in New Zealand. But this this is. In this case, having your entire website reviewed by the government authority and that process, which could take between six to, six to nine months, is, is something which people need to consider once they are doing campaign planning. The other thing is that as you start looking at all these different markets who have completely different rules from each other, the, the complexity of, of doing marketing or even having messages that reach physicians is completely different to what we would have in Australia and New Zealand, which are 
again, very well-defined, very, very well-regulated markets where the, the rules of engagement are pretty clear. Wow, that's that's quite a substantial challenge, particularly, as you say, you've got to you've got to do horses for courses across different, not just a region, but across different countries. I mean, that must, have you tried to get a consumer healthcare website approved in China and gone through that process? I have. In fact, um, the actual timeline which we're, which we're mentioning were the true timelines that I did face in the market. It took us about nine months to get the, the website live. And even after getting the website live, it has to be reviewed every year by the same authority, even if you don't change any content. That's amazing. So, so far from my experience, it, it, it's it's really hard to play by the rules that the the governments have established. And on the other hand, you know, for us being an American company, we have to follow the rules that are being developed in the U.S. and those rules follow everywhere in the world. But we see companies that are European that play by a different set of rules, which can get away with stuff, which would not even go through our internal regulatory processes. And quite frankly, I, I, it just occurred to me with these sorts of, given that you're in a, a regulated industry and facing these types of restrictions and, and uh, governmental rigor across different uh, regions and countries, you're still passionate about digital, says a lot about you and I guess your your belief in the value that it can offer your, your brands. Is that true? Well, yes, because the, the overall media landscape, especially in the last couple of years in Asia, has completely changed. Pe- people have, you know, we, we predicted in 2008 that uh, you know, the, the number of hours that people spend viewing TV uh, reading newspapers would decline, and and all those initial forecasts that we looked at in 2007, 2008 have have literally come to life. Right. And if if I have to get information to people, they they're not going to be looking at looking out for my TV ad at 9 p.m. at prime time because people are not using any of those channels. That they're they're consuming information on demand they they are especially for the the young millennials they have a very different view of life as compared to the the older folk like us who who grew up in in a very conventional way of of consuming media for them uh, they are all about you know experiences on life in fact last year we did a, a quick survey in singapore to find out why what motivates people to undergo lasik versus using contact lenses and glasses and to our surprise we found that it was not because the younger generation wanted to look vain. It was because they, they wanted to get their eyes uh, fixed or their eyes corrected so that they could pursue new experiences in life. For them, it was all about uh, you know, doing a, a bungee jump in Queenstown or, or basically uh, exploring a new continent. And they, they, were, they, they, they were very clear that they wanted their eyes to be in perfect shape so that they could explore the, the world and, and, and basically partake in all these experiences. And you mentioned before about uh, marketing to physicians and how they, uh, they want to get information. How have you found the attitude to, from your partners and from your customers has changed over the last three or four years and, and, and what they demand from you and what they'll respond to from you? So the, the, the human part of the organization to physician relationship is still quite important. I think that that hasn't diminished in value over the years. 
What has changed is the relationship has evolved so that the physicians are pretty clear about how they want information to be basically served to them. So I have seen an increase in online learning modules, an increase in participation in uh, web learning sessions where a physician, let's say, in a different market speaks about their experience. Uh, so, But I think what hasn't changed in, in the overall landscape and, and in the way people are, are, are working with us is, is the content. So as as long as people find that the overall content has some value and will help them to enrich their, their learning and serve their, 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 their patients better, they're looking for ways in which they can uh, get that, their, their, that specific content at their own time versus it being served to them at a, at a specific time and hour. And, and also they are basically coming forward and say, well, I'm, I'm really glad that I can learn from other people. I myself have also things to share that I would like to share with the overall community. So in terms of content, uh, that hasn't changed. In terms of people being involved in sharing stuff, I think those are the two key trends which I see is that there is a lot more openness to people coming forward and say, well, this is what I find in my practice versus waiting for something to be published in a journal six to nine months later. People are a lot more open in sharing stuff so that they can learn as well as contribute to the overall community. So we talked before about opportunities in in regulated markets. Would you see that uh, your organization being able to facilitate that sharing and that openness, would you see that that's a new opportunity that has opened up that wasn't available to you before? I I would actually say so. And I think that that's what makes this industry so exciting because the overall process of taking care of, of patients has been enriched so much through the technology that we have available to us. We do a lot more live patient surgeries, which is enabled by technology because we can you know, stream what's happening in, in Singapore to Australia, get people who are sitting in the US to basically comment on that. So I think there has been a lot of enablement of the, the learning process with technology. And with that, I think it creates opportunities as we uh, you know, look at the overall speed of the internet uh, becoming faster in the, in the developed world. The concept of remote consultations, the, remote, the concept of really the evolution of telemedicine is, is something which will really come up. And it's the, the healthcare organizations which will help to enable that because the, we are the, the connect between the patient as, as well as the, the physician. And going forward, we'll see a lot more of these trends coming forward where we can uh, facilitate this interaction and make it even better. But I, I, going back to another point you made, Mandeep, is uh, the healthcare industry or the people in it are somewhat lagging in, in their take-up of these types of initiatives. Do you, do you see that trend moving at all or it's still there's not much movement? Well, in, in the last 10 years that I have been in this industry, I, I have seen a lot of changes, although they have been slow, in terms of adoption of technology. I would say, as we saw in FMCG, like the, the PNGs of the world, where they, they mandated all their marketers to become digitally savvy, I think that same change will also come in this industry. Because the, the old ways where the, the job of a marketing person was to create a, a messaging tool and then the, the reps would use the messaging tool and you would be doing that every quarter, I think will be over soon. Because with technology and the fact that the information comes so quickly, the, the advances in patient care are, are happening at a really fast rate, 
marketers will need to adapt uh, to, to these new trends, similar to what happened in FMCT. And th- those marketers who can leverage the, the core in- insight from the patient as well as the physician to make their, their communication more effective, I believe are the ones who will really survive in this industry. Right. And look, you've, you've had senior corporate roles for many years. Do you see your team speaking about what's going to be happening in the next um, three to five years? Do you see that your teams are pushing for more digital initiatives or they're kind of pretending it's not happening or is it front and centre on the agenda? Uh, so in my team currently, I have, I think about 50% of them are millennials. So they basically grow up. How's that going on, for you, Mandy? <laughs> well, it's, 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 been, it's, it's been a shift for me in terms of understanding how to really integrate them into the team because their, their approach towards learning has to be grounded in the why. Unless you tell them why something needs to be done, they really don't buy into it and their, their best self doesn't come out. And for them, because they're so attuned to technology from the beginning, uh, and for me, being, a, I would say, a, a digital immigrant, I, I have had to understand what is the cool thing in their life, whether it's Pokemon Go or whether it's the new uh, technology platform which they're discussing in their groups. And, and I think for them, a, a lot of these communication methods are quite intuitive. And for me, I've just been focusing on how can I encourage the, this behavior and give them all the support that they need to basically get these, um, these new initiatives off the ground and also link it back to their overall business. Because a lot of the stuff that these guys do is cool. Uh, the missing gap, which you know, I also found, uh, unless I was told, is how does it bring in more revenue? And I think once they get the connection between using these tools to get the overall business uh, results, it, it, it becomes something which is front and center for them and the organization. And that's becoming a, a pretty common discussion point for the senior people that we're speaking to is that they, they are digital immigrants, as you say, dealing or employing digital natives in the form of millennials who know the tools but don't know the why, as you say, who don't know how to sheet that back or link that to helping to achieve uh, sales and marketing objectives. So I guess that's where the gray hairs like you and I, Manzeep, can actually come to the come to the table and say, okay, this is this is the strategy piece. You know the tools. Let's work together and collaboratively and come up with the the ideal solution that's going to be meaningful to our stakeholders, be they internal or external customers, uh, end customers or, or, tr- or trade partners. So going on with that, looking, uh, as I say, leadership is a very common theme in your social media postings, having done a little bit of cyber stalking on you. Um, what advice would you give a young corporate marketer who's just starting out? They've got the whole career in front of them. Uh, things are exciting. They they feel that they've, they're working for a medium to large corporate organization they've got a lot of uh, a lot of things that have been put in place already what advice would you give them particularly in the context of what digital opportunities are in front of them well i think for me the, the key thing which which has always been a, a very common thread in my last 10 years is um, you know think about who are you trying to serve and as long as you start with either the customer in mind or the physician in mind and really try to find out what their needs are if you can if you can crack that piece well and and with, with more practice if you can really come up with the the real understanding of what the insights are uh, 
the the tools will actually fit into the overall landscape once you have really found out a way to unearth their needs and you know it's really easy for all of us to get swayed by the the next um media outlet that seems cool whether it's instagram or twitter or, or facebook but again unless we have that strong understanding of why we are doing this and how would it actually benefit the end end user it's very hard for us to to come up with compelling campaigns or compelling messages that will help to get our brands closer to them as well as give us an opportunity to increase our overall business okay now this is the time of the uh, discussion, Mandeep, where we ask you to, to to gaze into your crystal ball and tell us where you feel we as corporate marketers will be in five years' time. And I know that seems like a, an eternity away, but where do you think the this uh, this digital revolution will be taking us, and where will we be in twenty twenty two? So I think there are a few trends which have been. Uh, slowly emerging. I think one of the trends is the Internet of Things. And uh, essentially, that will give people in marketing a lot of things to think about. Because once the Internet of Things becomes mainstream, you have uh, so much uh, information that you'll get from the different devices which are connected in your, your, your consumers or the, or the customers' homes. The key challenge would be how do you leverage all the information that is coming your way versus the old way of understanding retail trends using the AC Nielsen scan information. So I think the, the key thing is going to be how can marketers really understand and leverage the, the, the key trend of the uh, Internet of Things. Uh, one thing which I, I think will not change, and, and this is like preaching to the converted, is the human beings' needs or, or the people that we serve their needs are still very basic and people who win in this in this really crowded uh, environment where we are exposed to over 150 to 200 messages a day are the ones who can either connect with those needs at an emotional level or that can give people a way to to solve their problems better than what competition is is doing right now so i think it, it will be a blend of a completely new trend, but there will be still a lot of relevance in, in things that have uh, you know held true for the last 50 years. In other words, marketing, basic marketing is get is understand your market effectively and, and give them essentially what they need. Exactly. And, and I think the, 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 uh, in this fragmented media landscape, the role of insights is going to be even more important because in most cases, people might not know exactly what they want. And worse, they might not be able to articulate it in the way that you really want to know. So understanding human behavior as, as a key trend, you know, whether you're looking at it from now, we, we have research where people can uh, look at your MRI of the brain to really find out which areas of the brain gets stimulated when you're looking at a shopping behavior. So I think those would be the things that will start to get mainstream eventually where, you know, again, marketers will get a lot of information about the things that they put in front of their customers. And, and the ones who are really attuned to, to bringing in those, uh, you know, essentially taking the jump without knowing whether they land on their feet or the face are the ones who will be successful. Right. And final question, Mandeep, what would be the top, your top three tips for corporate marketers in understanding and better leveraging 
digital? For me, the, the first step is always start media neutral. Don't get swayed by everything which is out there. You, you get pitched to by agencies about you know the, the next big thing. And again, the, I think the, the more you understand your, your customers, the more you'll be able to understand what fits their needs. I think the, the second key thing which I always emphasize is, is, is ask why. And in, in, the, in the environment that we are in where the, the, the millennials have been asking why ever since they were born, <laughs> that, that whole concept of asking about why. Every, about everything. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's, for, for us, older folk, we have to really change our mindsets where you know, our bosses would ask us to do something and we, we would just say yes. Of course. But with these guys, they have to be convinced on why there is a need for, to, to do this. And, and, and I think that's one trend which will become even more pertinent as we go, go forward. And, you know, uh, you know, I think finally, the importance of market research and especially ethnographic market research is going to be even more important. It will give us a window into people's um, lifestyles, into the way they, they consume different technology, into the way they, they consume different different products. So that the more we are willing to spend time and understand consumers in their own skin, is the more successful we'll be to get products and services to them, which will endear them to our brands, because uh, the organization can do that, will be the one which would be truly differentiated from what uh, the other organizations offer. Well, it sounds like, particularly with those top those three tips you've just given us, the top three tips, that's sound marketing. And as you said, that's that's been the way for decades of excellent marketers following those processes and and I think that's something that really that people are marketers of, of all ages and stages should bear in mind that if you're a good marketer yes there are different ways of thinking and different ways of doing things but fundamentally and foundationally you, it's very very important to get the, the basics right and put those foundations in place before you actually start saying okay we're going to use Snapchat we're going to have a Facebook page we're going to do uh, programmatic did, you know, banner ads and all those types of things. I mean, they're very important and they're part of the the delivery process. But really, you need to get the basics and fundamentals right. Otherwise, you're going to fail. And and that's a recurring theme in this podcast. And it's like you're just going to end up doing lots of stuff for no real no real reason other than it's going to fill your day and spend your money. Exactly. Great. Mandeep, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know you are a busy man and speaking to us from Singapore. Uh, you've given us some excellent uh, insights from both your experience in Australia and in the Asian market as well. So thank you again, and we, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. You are most welcome, Pete. It was an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Mandeep. I think it was a really good and very insightful conversation that we had with him. One of the things that I love about speaking to the more senior people in uh, in marketing is particularly when they see the value that digital can bring to the table, not just in we can do this, we can do that, but also we can actually use digital to achieve these objectives that, that we need to deliver from a sales and marketing point of view. I think that's fantastic. And where this chat was similar to the initial discussion we had with Tony Karras from Weight Watchers is that he's looking at it from very much a strategic point of view of why we should be doing things as opposed to let's just do this, let's just build a website, let's just create an app. So looking at it from a strategic point of view first really creates that solid foundation from which you can then do the implementation side. But having laid that foundation, 
allows you to create a much more robust solution for the organization. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And we'll speak to you again very soon. Bye. You just listened to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. If you have any suggestions about what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts, email us at info at tickyes.com. For the transcript, links from this episode and other information, go to www.tickyes.com and click on the podcast link. Have a great digital day.